Mm-hmm. Hello, hello. <laughs> oh, wait, can we start again? I was oh, making no. a weird sound. <laughs> Sorry. I was making a weird Julie sound. Julie was like, this is the time to hum. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tired SLP, I know just what you time for coffee tea and three slps welcome 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 hi we're back it's episode seven and today we are talking all about push-in services in schools pushing pushing to the limit limit because we're in it in it to win it in it to win it oh yeah cut to corbin blue dancing in a gymnasium <laughs> yes we are millennials <laughs> so thinking about pushing therapy i have a question for you julie and kyla mm-hmm. on a rating scale of something you feel there, that feels very comfortable for example unbuttoning your pants the moment you get into your car after a long work day to something that's very uncomfortable such as accidentally liking your ex's new partner's instagram post from 2017 on a long deep dive that you're doing at 3 a.m that you shouldn't be doing so on a scale of unbuttoning your pants <laughs> to the accidental instagram like how mm-hmm. do you feel about push-in services? How comfortable do you feel with them? I'm I'm closer to Instagram like. Mm. I'm I'm closer to giving my sister my phone and having her scroll through a random kid's Instagram that I knew from seventh grade, scrolling all the way down to 2017 and liking his picture by accident. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's wow. actually happened. No. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, no. Did I trigger a memory? <laughs> oh, Dang. wow. That's, that's where I am. Wow. I'm so sorry. Julie, what about you? Um, I want to say, like, unbuttoning my pants, but it seems weird to say I'm comfortable, like, unbuttoning my pants while doing push-in services. <laughs> hey, don't take it out of context. <laughs> nope, no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, well, I am, yeah, I am very, I'm super comfortable doing push-in and co-teaching in a classroom. It's probably my favorite way to do therapy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I am like unbuttoning one button so I'm getting there but I wouldn't say I'm fully 100% comfortable so I'm I'm maybe somewhere in the middle but more towards the comfortable side yeah you didn't unzip the fly yet (laughs) this is this is a desk unbuttoning when I'm sitting at my desk I'll do one little top button just to let it breathe a little bit but not too much This is the worst analogy that you okay. could come up with in response in planning, to therapy. In planning phase, this made so much sense, but in, in implementation, this is ridiculous. No, it's perfect. 
Oh, Lord. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so actually, this might work out for our conversation today because we're all in slightly different comfort levels. So we'll all have something slightly different to contribute. Does anyone have a push-in story that they would like to share? Yeah. Go for it. I have one. Uh, so this was when I was a grad student. So obviously at that point, I was very uncomfortable doing everything. And so one student was like at the beginning of the day, we had to do a push in with her. And it was always during she's like in kindergarten or first grade. I forget. She was young, though. So they still had circle time. So I'd go and push in during circle time. And what I would do is I would take her aside for a little bit of extra language practice before she presented what she was going to present. And so I was in there and it actually went really smooth. We practiced and then when she was asked to take her spot at circle time and then present what she had to say, she did great and it was so exciting. I was like, yay, that was so successful. Then at the end of the 30 minutes, uh, the kids are working independently and the teacher asked to speak to me in the hallway. And I was like, oh, okay. So my supervisor's not there. It's just me. And the teacher is like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you this, but I have a, a chemical sensitivity. And I think something in your hair is just making me like kind of freak out a little bit. Oh, that was not the direction that I thought this was going to take. Oh yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and my hair was, um, you know, curly girl. I had just taken it down for the day and obviously it's still wet. Cause you know, it was in the morning. I didn't have time to diffuse. So it was like my hair product. So she's like, I think it must be just something in your hair is making my chemical sensitivity freak out. Um, is there any way we can not do push in anymore? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll just run that by my supervisor. I'm sorry. I didn't know. And then I just weirdly walked away like I don't know what to do with that information then I told my supervisor and my supervisor was like oh my god she says this to me like every other week it's okay we're gonna oh, keep no. doing pushing <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was yeah it was interesting so I guess not really like a a put well I guess yeah push in push in's gone wrong yeah uh, make sure your teachers don't have chemical sensitivities to specifically your hair product <laughs> <laughs> well you it is weird because you as the slp you're in the teacher's space mm -hmm. I, I mean that doesn't even need quotes you're in the classroom <laughs> so it is weird like whether it's this chemical sensitivity or i mean for me i've been told to not speak so loudly because I get really excited when I'm working with kids. And, and and when you're just in your therapy room, it doesn't matter. You can be yelling and singing and having a great time. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the classroom, you have to be aware that there are other kids trying to learn. And right. it's, uh, yeah, I so I I remember the moment that a teacher told me that that was in my CF year. I'm like, oh, mm. crap. I've been told that they don't want me in the classroom anymore because mm. um it was distracting to the other kids mm -hmm. um mm. which uh I there's a lot of thoughts about that situation but anyway they told me you know it's too distracting even though we were in the back and the girl did really well in her classroom and not well in the therapy room which is why I saw her in the classroom mm -hmm. um 
but I was like, all right, it was the end of the year. And I was like, I'm not fighting this. I don't mm. care. I'm, I'll pull her out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Whatever. burnt out and I don't have the fight in me. Yep. Okay. We'll go to my office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause sometimes that transition to your room can be so dysregulating. At least that's what I've seen for some of the kids who work better in the classroom you don't have to have them go through that transition. So they're already to, mm-hmm. used to like the classroom expectations and, and sometimes it just works out so much better for you to meet them there, so. And we have a million toys in our therapy room and they're in cabinets and stuff, but she knows that they're there. And so a lot of kids like, that's just like an overwhelming amount of toys that they know are there. So she was just grabbing stuff off the walls. She had to dump every container out on the table. They had to be dumped out. Like it was just, she could not, she had to take everything off. But when I saw her in the classroom, I would bring one or two activities and she would be able to sit there because that's all I had, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, Brittany, what's your story? Okay. So this is something that I did a lot my CF year and even into year two of being an SLP is something I call whisper therapy. So this was after, after I was told that I was too loud. Um, I developed, well, I I thought, okay, well, that's fine. I will just whisper everything I say to every child I see in the classroom. And then what would happen sometimes is I wouldn't well, often when I started trying to go into the classroom was I wouldn't have planned with the teacher ahead of time what we were they were working on, which is the most important part, I think, of pushing services. And so I would get to the classroom and I would like sit next to a kid while maybe the teacher was giving a group lesson. And if the teacher's doing a whole group lesson for the whole 30 minutes that you're in there, and you, you hadn't pre-planned something to co-teach, um, you want to feel like you're doing something. So what would happen is, I'm picturing a third grade classroom I would go into and do this in. I would go in and I would sit next to one of my students and maybe the teacher's giving a lesson on, I don't know, amphibians. And I would be like, okay, so can you think of any examples of an amphibian? <laughs> And the kid's like <laughs> trying to listen, but also I'm talking to them. And I'm like, go ahead. It's okay. I'm going to put them on this whiteboard right here. Like a frog, a frog. It's I'm like, end up shout whispering. So bad. So bad. I've done that before. Actually, I they were like um, watching some, like a, a long video about like wilderness thing. And so I was like sitting next to the kid and I was like, what do you see? I a tree what else do you see mm-hmm. <laughs> that's annoying as mm-hmm. hell <laughs> yeah yep I used to Absolutely. do that all the time mm-hmm. I have there was one time I was doing that and the kid was just like miss can you speak normally in the middle of class and I was like uh no I can't we have to be quiet <laughs> but can you answer this question <laughs> <laughs> so unsuccessful oh yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, pushing takes a lot of, I feel like, I don't know, it just takes a lot of experimenting almost to figure out what works with that student because I feel like every student's going to respond to a different push-in model. Let's get into our push-in conversation. So I think maybe a good place to start would be 
you know, when you think of push-in, what's, what do you immediately think of? Because I know there's a lot of different opinions on what push-in should be or what it should look like in practice. What do you guys think? I feel like what I think of is the SLP sitting directly next to a student or a small group of students helping them with the curriculum task Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I envisioned but thinking about this so there's an article that the informed SLP wrote all about what is pushing and Mm -hmm. having worked in a school and, and continuing to try to embrace more of a collaborative model I think push-in can also look like co-teaching or or even having a station that kids rotate to so you've planned a specific lesson for your kids on on your caseload but it's related to what they're doing in the classroom and they don't physically have to go to your room so I think there are a lot of different ways you can think of um implementing it but yeah I think what when I hear that term I just envision like an SLP sitting next to a student helping them with their worksheet or, or something like that. Yeah, I used to I used to think that too. I guess I heard push in and to me it sounded like one-to-one therapy in the classroom. But now I think when I see a B grid service, um, I just think of it as therapy or interventions in the context of the classroom or done in the context of a classroom curriculum. Um, not necessarily that one-to-one therapy anymore. So I used to think, oh, I have this push-in model and it's going to be me and I have my speech and language objectives and I'm going to go and do the speech and language objectives in the classroom to the side as much as possible. Whereas I think my mindset sort of shifted on that and thinking of more as a curriculum, so a direct curriculum support or direct generalization support rather than that one-to-one yeah rather than the whisper therapy (laughs) yeah (laughs) so bad it's so bad I think the most important point and the SL the informed SLP article also alludes to this is that you have to plan with the teacher ahead of time though in order Mm -hmm. to be effective and I could talk about this for a very long time I think Weekly collaborative meetings are a great place to start if mm-hmm. you can fit it into your schedule, which we know m- most people cannot. Mm-hmm. But it's you also have to be flexible because classrooms are going to classroom and the schedule is not going to be perfect every day. Even if you only have this like 25 or 30 minutes where you want to get in there and start your lesson or start your therapy maybe they're running 15 minutes late from recess and like you have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. I think maybe with either type of service, pull out or push in, but especially with push in because there are a lot more factors in that in classroom environment. Yeah, I agree. I think anytime you can collaborate with the teacher, I guess, you know, when I think about how I'm doing my collaboration now, because I co-teach and push in and I try to do that as much as possible. And I'm lucky enough where I do get planning time with the teachers every, either every week or every other week. And we just talk about like, okay, what makes sense for us to do together in the classroom 
for these students. Um, but yeah, it's hard. I wonder, have you guys ever just tried like email collab? Because I find that can be helpful too, just as long as I feel like if you're going to do push in, you just need to have a heads up on what they're doing ahead of time or else it could be a flop. So my push ins when I first started were always a flop, always, because I was like, OK, I'm just going to go in and help whoop, whoop, help in the classroom. And like one of two things would always happen is like what we did was not helpful to the student and was distracting or just, you know, ineffective or I just ended up being the classroom aide to every student. And then at that point, I'm like, oh, I just, that's not what I was supposed to do. I didn't actually give that student support. I just kind of helped everyone in the class, like help the lesson keep going. So I found even when I started just emailing to be like, hey, what topic are you guys covering? Is it okay if I like during right at the beginning of the lesson, I just go to the reading corner with my student, review some vocab strategies, and then we integrate back in and keep carrying it out. But just, I feel like even that email connection of figuring out what the topic is, because then you can maybe bring in some visuals to help, or you can bring in some materials that are gonna be supplementary is really important. I feel like you can't just say, oh, I'm gonna push in and then go in totally un unknowing of what's going on in the class. Right? What do you guys think? Or is that a little too harsh? <laughs> no, I think that's a great idea. And that's also helpful to you as the SLP to know this is what we're going to work on. Or, you know, if a kid has multiple goals that learn figuring out what they're going to be doing in the classroom at that time will help you figure out what kind of goals you want to target with them in that mm -hmm. moment. Right. How have teachers been receptive to you guys? trying to meet with them or go into their classroom uh, to do push-in? It totally depends. I think that teachers who are mm. really, who have a solid understanding of what my role is are more, tend to be more likely to embrace me coming in and being there. It's not always the case. Sometimes it's also just a personality difference. Um, mm -hmm. I've also had cases where a teacher is really wonderful and collaborative, but they have maybe a student or two that is really struggling in their classroom classroom emotionally with some behaviors, and they're trying to just control for as many variables as possible. And so sometimes it's not always a good time to push in. So it really depends. It depends on the teacher's understanding of my role, but also the particular things that are going on in that classroom at that time. I have pushed into one classroom in particular, which is a, it, we call it partners. It's um, mostly a gen ed classroom with like five or maybe like five or six kids with IEPs. And it's um, and like kind of an integrated program. And so I've done some push in uh, in those, in that classroom in particular. And what I've found is I'll usually push in during their free play. They have like stations that they're supposed to stay at for like 45 minutes. And I'll just do kind of some free play kind of play therapy, but in the classroom. And usually the kid that I'm there to see is like running all around, not staying in the station, like, you know, throwing things and just kind of doing whatever. And then 
all of the other kids, and this is pre-K, so they're little, they are so excited that a new person is there. And I look like I'm just playing with people. So then all of these other little kids are coming up to me and being like, let's play with dolls. Let's do this. Can you do this? And you'll be this person and I'll be this person. We'll do this. Meanwhile, like my kid is like running in circles around the room. And I've always like, I want to play with these cute kids, but it's like always weird. I have to be like, oh, I'm going to talk to this kid right now or like oh I can't play with you right now and it's just kind of a a weird kind of funny but a little bit uncomfortable situation when I'm like swarmed by all these gen ed kids so excited that I'm there (laughs) they just want to play yeah Yeah, I feel like the the opposite of whisper therapy is pre-k running around chasing your kid therapy yeah Cause that happened to me a lot <laughs> when I would push into pre-K mm-hmm. before I kind of really understood a better way to do it. And, and it, it was, I don't know if I ever really nailed it, but there's a lot of running involved, mm-hmm. especially if you're taking a more child-led approach and the kid has a very short attention span. And then you have this element you're talking about Kyla of 12 other kids thinking you're awesome because you're new and they really want you to bake pretend cookies with them in the kitchen area, like really badly. (laughs) Yeah. I, I remember even like when you try to get your kid, your the student you're supposed to be seeing to join you like, Oh, look, we're playing cookies over here. Come with us. The kids always like, no, I'm going to play trucks on the other end of the room or just do something completely the opposite of what you're doing so tricky and it's important in situations like that it is important to talk to the teacher ahead of time to know their rules and like kind of figure out how strict they are like this classroom is a little more lenient because um, the teacher in particular is very used to having kids with IEPs and different needs um, and she's very accommodating but there are definitely other gen ed classrooms in the school where the teachers are very strict. No, no matter what, you have to stay in your station. You have to stay seated. You have to do this. And I am more of a lenient person and a more of a child-led person. So I'm out here being like, all right, if they run away, whatever, you know, I'll try to get them back, but I'm not going to be particularly strict about it. But that might clash with how the teacher likes to run their classroom. So it's good to kind of get a gauge before you go in on like, how strict are the, is this teacher? Um, and like what are their rules um, and and how do their rules apply to this student who might have some difficulty following these particular rules? That's a great point, Kyla. And I think to tie that into Brittany's point, I feel like the push-ins and co-teachers that go the best have to do with the teachers that know the most about your role. Otherwise you become behavior support. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like, oh, hey, can you just um, make sure that group of kids is can you just keep an eye on, on them while I go print, make this coffee Whoa. or class babysitter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I find the more the teachers know about what you're there for, the better the push in or co-teach is going to go. Um, because yeah, you don't want to get shifted to this ambiguous person in your, in the classroom that you don't really know why they're there. Yeah. And it's such an important point about, knowing the classroom teacher's expectations for the kid, because if I, I'm thinking of a kid who um, sometimes I would pull them out of the classroom, see them in my room. And sometimes this child would just work better if we were 
on our like laying on our bellies on the floor and under the table and then she'd run up and then we're like doing an activity on the wall like holding up our paper and finishing it on the wall like just movement was something that she craved and so I would Mm -hmm. allow her that because I could in my room Mm -hmm. it's really hard because some teachers like you said Kyla they really want the kid to be sitting at the table or working in a specific way they have this vision of what working looks like for that kid it's it's hard because I'm I can let the kid run around my room and I can accommodate for all of that energy and movement when it's just me focusing 100% of my energy on that kid but of course a classroom teacher especially a pre-k teacher can't really let every child do that without letting the entire room fall into complete chaos so it's it's really hard because sometimes you have to navigate like what feels right for that kid versus being in the classroom and following like the teachers um often very well thought out classroom expectations for a little while like I would break the class rules all the time by accident like oh my god I'm so sorry I didn't know that you wanted them all to sit down I definitely told them all to get up and dance (laughs) oh yeah Uh, and then oh the worst the worst is when you get a kid in trouble (laughs) oh I've totally done that oh my god where I'm like oh yeah you can go like do this thing and then the teacher's like Johnson why are you doing that we talked about you not doing that anymore and I just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I just told him it was okay. Be like, and then the teacher would be like, no, that's not okay because he doesn't, you know, it's too distracting, whatever, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I, I used to always get kids in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Some, some classroom rules are very specific. And unless you're like in that environment all the time, there's no way that you would know specifically what these kids can or cannot do. And it's also a good point earlier. I can't remember which one of you said it, but sometimes you end up feeling more, or Julie, you mentioned feeling more like a behavior support, but I think there's also this other side too that one of you mentioned about being a tutor. So thinking more about older kids, that's definitely something I've struggled with doing push in and also just generally trying to incorporate the curriculum more sometimes I don't do, or I I hadn't done a clear enough job explaining what my role is and what I'm working on with the student. So then the teacher might think, oh, great, Brittany's here to help this student. Can you just do this assignment with them? And sometimes I can, because the assignment's all about writing a great paragraph and it ties in perfectly with their language goal. And then sometimes I can't because of many reasons. Maybe I don't have the background knowledge on the, the fourth grade history lesson that they're doing like as a as an SLP we're there to teach skills not necessarily just the content and that can be something that's really tricky to navigate when you're trying to help out with the curriculum content I that's why I've been leaning more towards co-teaching rather than pushing in because the skills that you're going to target for your student are generally going to be skills that help every single student in the class. So like, uh, well, I guess every student, no, I know every student in our classrooms at my school 
has a language-based disability. So they're always going to have that language-based disability. So I, you know, I come more with the approach of, okay, we're going to learn these concepts. And then I'm going to give you some sort of strategies or skills to practice that are going to help you, you know, learn and retain this information. And then encouraging the teacher to be like, Hey, if you have a, you know, you just saw me model how to do vocab and morphology for your, or how to pre-teach vocab for your class. That's something that you could do every day. So that's why I've been leaning more towards the co-teach model because you can get that, you can do that skill-based intervention or skill-focused intervention for the whole class. And then it's more beneficial. It gets built in more into the routine for those students rather than having it be an isolated, isolated therapy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can you give a specific example of how you co-teach a lesson, maybe from like start to finish, planning to implementing it? Sure. Let me think. Um, so we have this curriculum that we use to help with self-regulation and vocabulary around self-regulation, but it can be modified for tons of different grade levels. So for our seniors, what I typically do is I have a bi-weekly meeting set up with the class teacher. And that's where we talk about students we're concerned with um, or students that get consult time. But then we do some planning of, okay, so here's the brain talk curriculum lesson. Oh, that's the, that's the curriculum is called brain talk. Here's the curriculum lesson on brain talk. Here's how I want to break it down for the students. What are you guys going to be working on this week that I can just tie right in? And this class is a career pragmatics class. So it's perfect. So they're learning about problem solving, decision making, um, and lots of other pragmatic language skills after high school. So they're kind of getting ready to have a job or go to college and figuring out how your social skills are going to work in those settings. So we talk, uh, well, we've built up a flow so we don't have to talk as thoroughly anymore. But we talk about, okay, how I'm going to introduce it. Um, what concepts do you want me to tie in? And then what can you loop throughout the week? So then when I go in the classroom, the students, I, the first thing you want to do is just make sure I like to do is make sure the students know why you're there. <laughs> That's so like, even if you have to take a day, a whole class period of talking about why you're there, what is your role? And then why you and the classroom teacher are working together. I find just immediately builds in more buy-in from the students, especially high school students, um, or else you're just a random person coming to teach at them <laughs> once a week. So I go in and once they know who I am, they know my face, that's, we just carry out the plan in class. So I introduce the brain talk lesson that we want to do today. And then together, the teacher and I talk about how it ties into the concepts and try to bring in a lot of examples, or sometimes she has um, visuals or things that she can bring up that they've done that week in the moment. And that's kind of the bulk of our, excuse me, bulk of our time. And then we do just like a quick wrap up at the end of just like little comprehension checks and why is this important? Why do we even talk about this? Um, and talking about like how they might think about it for the rest of the week. So that's kind of like the senior class that we're doing that with. So it's, it's, 
it makes more sense to do it that way because the seniors on my caseload are all working on high level problem solving skills. So it'd be silly for me to take them away from that class into my office to do something that's in their curriculum that I can enhance with an additional curriculum that I know about and breaking it down to build some metacognitive skills and around problem solving and decision making. So that's kind of where I, I think that's where my expertise comes in is um, knowing how to break down the language so that the students know it and can use it to participate in some metacognitive strategies or lessons on the topic. I hope that wasn't too like <laughs> round. That's awesome. But yeah, really it's cool. It's so fun. And um I think it works there because I've built a really good relationship with the that classroom teacher. And she also gets my role and my focus is I'm there to help her her help her class succeed in what she wants them to succeed in anyway. So that's when it's really helpful. And then I do pretty much the same thing, but with the with my younger fourth and fifth grade students in there, they have an oral expressions class. And I do the brain talk curriculum for that lesson. And I do the same planning with that teacher, except we talk about more, okay, what kind of language heavy things are we gonna incorporate? And two of those students, or yeah, the two students in that class, they're working on a couple of syntax uh, goals with me. So we go through the lesson and at the end I, you know, we do a little bit of writing or a little bit of talking and they answer questions and that's when I bring in their syntax and grammar support. So we explicitly, I explicitly teach how they would maybe answer a certain question. So it's right there in their class and then teacher um, sees what I'm doing with them and then she can carry it over for the rest of the week until the next time that I'm in there. And it's awesome. It's really, it works so well. Um, and it's so much, I find it's way more effective than just kind of doing the isolated syntax support, for example, with the fourth and fifth graders, if just sitting next to them and modeling for them that the teacher and I just work together at the front of the class to get that, to have that successful lesson. I like the idea of meeting with the teacher and asking them, what can you loop in throughout the week? Like I can introduce right. this and I can teach it um, and I can teach kind of how to teach it. Um, and then, you know, let's plan together. How can you carry that throughout the week is a really cool idea. I love that too. I love that. And it reminds me of something that our pre-K um, team at the school that I worked at would do where we would meet every week and fill out what was called the planning matrix and have every mm have the the kids schedule laid out completely from the moment they enter and take their backpacks off to the moment they get on the bus or their caregivers pick them up and then we'd go through and say when can we have this kid practice the r sound when oh, nice. can we have this kid say this sen sentence structure he's working on and go through and then they have that matrix and they have it in their classroom with them throughout the day and then they remember oh yeah like it's snack time I'm gonna practice this word with them a couple times and you get that distributed practice throughout the week versus just the mm. mass practice of or mass practice when you're in there mm -hmm. so that reminds me of what you're saying because you're actually going in you're co-teaching this lesson the 
kids know why you're there. The teacher understands your role better because they're seeing you talk about your area of expertise. Right, and then you leave right. them with this gem of like, awesome. Like, let's talk about how you can practice this throughout the week. Now, I feel right. like that's the most important part mm -hmm. is what do they do with this information when you're not there? Right. And that's also, I feel like that you're right. That time where you're planning, that's what's going to help a teacher figure out what your role is with that student. Right. Because they're, yeah, you're right, Brittany. Like they're just watching your, your thought process into how you want to do something. You're like, maybe for a teacher that you haven't worked for, with before much, they're like, oh, so this is, you know, this is what you're thinking of when you're working with the student. So yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to have you work with them on this worksheet because that's not what you do. <laughs> so at least yeah. that's the hope. That's, that's what you would hope to come out of it. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. How do you decide which kids you want to do push in versus pull out? Ooh, that's a really good question. Okay. What are some the determining first, factors? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is their attention and focus. So this isn't universal, but what I have found is kids who struggle with attending to an academic task often do better when it's just one-on-one -on -one in your therapy room. I've had kids who I get zero things done with when I see them in the classroom or even in like a group of two in the corner. You think you do all the strategies, try to help them focus and, and they just, it doesn't work out. And I, I've even had a kid who knows that he has problems with attention say to me, Miss Brittany, this is so much better. I can actually do my work now when I'm with you. And so, so I think part of it is, the kid's attention and maybe more generally speaking, just what they prefer. Do they prefer to be in the classroom or outside of the classroom? That's the first thing that I think of. I think about the skill that we're practicing and the student's level with that skill. So, and also the classroom environment is a big one. So like, for example, if I have, an Arctic or phrenology kid and they're barely intelligible, <laughs> I'm not going to do push-in with them because <laughs> we need that direct, explicit speech therapist support. You know, they need that expertise directly out without distraction or without the context of the curriculum so they can focus on that speech sound practice. Or if a student has, I think, a wide variety of language needs, so a really complex kid um and their level of complex needs doesn't necessarily match the other students or i guess when the classroom has too much of a variety where it would be hard to kind of target that student's skills in the classroom and then also yeah the classroom <laughs> the classroom environment is a big one because if you're about to go into a, I don't know, if I, if I'm about to go into a class and it's going to be their center, their play centers for a preschool kid, that might not be the best time to work on literacy-based skills or language-based skills that, I don't know, just need a little bit more attention specifically. Oh, I, I think that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think those are like the three, like what skill are you targeting? 
uh, or let's go, do I want to target with that student? Where are they in terms of practicing that skill? Like what is their skill level? And then what's the classroom environment going to be like for when I do can push in with that student? Hmm. So would you consider using push in as a stepping stone also towards maybe dismissal? Like, all right, this year we're doing pull out next, you know, and then if they kind of meet their goals in that context, maybe next year you can do push in with the hopes of kind of like moving them gradually towards dismissal. That was kind of the model one of the districts I worked in had hmm. was that that was the hierarchy they wanted you to follow almost that like pull out service being like the most support as the student makes progress you should be pushing in way more then you move into a consult then you assess to dismiss but i actually i don't know i see it, a, it that it could be it could be done as a tool to help generalize like okay remember that thing we worked on in the speech room see this activity you're doing in class do it this is the time this is it be free <laughs> spread your wings young one young padawan this is it um and then you're like yeah okay generalize it i'm gonna show the teacher how i want you to generalize it and yeah if if you can generalize that skill now with classroom support i guess that is that could be one of the cases for dismissal Mm, yeah, it reminds me of this conversation we've had before offline about is generalizing the actual learning, like if they're just doing it with you in optimal conditions in your therapy room, is that actually learning or are they just getting a lot of practice in that specific situation versus generalizing that that's the goal of why we see kids is so they actually learn something and apply it in many different contexts so i hadn't thought of that point kyla in terms of it being a stepping stone to dismissal but i certainly see it as a stepping stone to to proficiency with a certain skill so maybe you work on even at the level of a single vocabulary where you maybe see them for five or ten minutes you could do this, seeing them for five or 10 minutes in your room, talk about it in depth, make sure they understand it, and then go back into the classroom and see if you can use that word in a classroom discussion or when they're answering a question or in the writing assignment they're working on. So then you can really see, oh, are they still retrieving it? Are they still understanding it in, in that environment? That's the real learning. I'm also thinking about your point, Julie, of which skill you're working on and and I think about this a lot in terms of that content versus skill question. And I keep thinking about fourth grade history, maybe because in the school I worked at, the fourth grade teachers loved history or one in particular loved history. And every language-based activity was actually about a historical event. And I am history is not my strongest suit. So I often went into it just like the student never having heard of a certain event or person or thing they're thinking about and learning about. So, so what's the best use of my pullout time? It's not going through the content and learning about this historical event. Ideally, the teacher and I emailed or met beforehand and, and then they said, hey, we're going to be learning about this battle or whatever. 
I can do my own research to make sure I know what they're talking about. And then when the kid shows up, we can jump right into making sentences to describe the sequence of events that happened or whatever their goal is. So thinking about the skill you're working on, sometimes it, it can be helpful um, in a pullout session, or that could be pushing too, um, now that I'm thinking about it. But I guess it just goes back to the planning piece and mm -hmm. making sure you know what's going on and teaching right. that skill. Yeah, I feel like this is, I don't know, the more we're talking about this, the more I really see why our field is kind of shifting from push-in model, quote unquote, to collaborative service model, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. You know, it just makes, it just makes more sense if we're thinking about in a school, our job is to support the students access to that curriculum. Like that's how you get on the service delivery grid, that there's been a need identified that's stopping the student from accessing the curriculum like their peers. And in order to address that need, you need the support of a speech language pathologist. Right. But so in order to access to help that student access the curriculum, eventually you identify the skills they're missing. But you are going to need that collaborative approach to figure out how, you know, what is the curriculum they're supposed to be accessing and what are the skills they need to access it. Um, so it feels to me, I feel like you need to kind of at some point you're going you're going to need with a lot of students to see them in their classroom setting to see, OK, here are the skills. How are we going to transfer those skills into your curriculum settings? Um, yeah, it, seem, it just seems a little bit more intuitive to me now that I've been doing it more and more that that is the that's kind of the pathway. Yeah, that was even making me think about improving our knowledge of what classrooms do, because sometimes I don't even, like I don't know always what the curriculum is like sometimes, you know, I'm writing goals for these kids in a particular grade, let's say third grade. And I'm pulling them out, but I'm like, what do third graders even know? What are they supposed to know? Mm -hmm. What, what are they? And like, you know, we can read the common core. We can read what their, the, like the classroom goals are, but like, you don't really see it implemented. Like, I don't know how they're working on that skill. It's helpful for us to know how are these skills, what are these skills that this particular grade is supposed to know, how are the rest of the peers responding to this? Like, do the rest of the peers mm -hmm. not really know it? Is everybody struggling with it? Um, or does everyone know this and our, just our kids are struggling with it? So I think even just being in the classroom, even if it's not for push-in, but just even observing, and that will help us write goals and, and create um, maybe more meaningful expectations of our students and, and how to implement therapy even in a yes. pullout situation yeah because then you're seeing the other kids in the classroom too and that's so important for our understanding of what the expectations should be for mm -hmm. or it doesn't always have to be that exact expectation but it's helpful to have that as a guide like oh everyone else in the class knows how to write uh, and formulate a paragraph and this kid is really struggling with it mm -hmm. that's helpful to know versus sometimes if it's maybe second grade or first grade and it can be hard to know like oh are these kids writing full sentences with multi-slavic words I don't it, my mm -hmm. kids struggling with it is that just because I'm doing the wrong 
Like I shouldn't even be working on this task with them. So it's really helpful to know not only what is the teacher doing, but how is the whole class doing with that? And then it connects to your point, Julie, of that could be if the whole class is struggling with something, that's a wonderful opportunity for the SLP to come in and say, hey, I'm an expert in this area. I can help you with this thing that right. everyone is struggling with. And we can meet the IEP minutes for mm -hmm. my kid. Right. And also, yeah, I vocabulary is one that comes to mind for those uh, upper elementary grades because you know, that from moving from second grade to third grade is always such a huge shift because now you're expected to read to learn instead of learn to read. So you've made that shift and it's it's a big one. Um, but even just those vocabulary skills, like when you go in with your student, you're like, okay, I have this push in, I have this B grid delivery service for this student. And you go in and you realize, oh my God, these kids don't get that like, <laughs> You have to pull meaning from context. There you go. There is a great, a wonderful thing to co-teach with your classroom teacher, right? Like you can say, hey, I noticed that a lot, of, some of the students, especially my student, doesn't know how to pull meaning from context or they don't know that morphemes can give meaning to words. Can we do vocabulary lessons together around the vocab that you're gonna be reading in your history book? Or can we pull some tier two words and do some vocab, a big vocab lesson with the students before you get into the, into the reading? And that's a great way to teach skill and curriculum at the same time. Woo -woo! We love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I really do. I just, yeah, I like to encourage SLPs to, especially if your student's a great candidate for it, just think about co-teaching and collaborative support because it can be so great. It can be so great. And then you have a little, you have a planning buddy essentially <laughs> for that's for a student every every week. Yeah, that's true. It actually can it make planning easier because sometimes I feel like we get stuck in this in these rabbit holes of like having to find the perfect treatment activity mm -hmm. for how a seed turns right. into a pumpkin because it's fall time and I need to have the craft ready and I need to have a song and and it's like oh or the teacher literally already did all of this. And you can yeah. use what mm. they are doing. Mm -hmm. One time I did a craft that the preschool teacher literally did that same week. And the student was like, I did this in class too. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to do it again. But then I had the <laughs> thought, oh my God, we could have just done this together. Yeah, Like we could have yeah, done this yeah. craft together and achieved these goals. And probably a ton of the other students would have benefited too. Yeah. So. My last thought about push-in services is that we should be aware of our relationship with that student and that student's individual temperament because I've had kids who um, frankly seem extremely embarrassed that I am there working with them in the classroom. And that's oh, maybe yeah. more credit to the co-teaching model where it's a whole group activity or lesson. But times when I have gone in to just see one student. I've had kids literally get up from their desk and move to sit in a different place because they didn't want Same. to be seen with me. Yep. And there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. And you just have to think, okay, where am I at with my trust building with this student, with our rapport? What's going on? Can we make this work in the classroom? Or should we be out of the classroom? Or should we be out of the classroom and just touch base and be like, hey, 
what's going on. So there, it's a dynamic process too. So that's my last thought. Some kids don't want you yeah. there. I think, yeah, prep your kids. De- yeah, depending on the student, just prep them that you're going to be in there because they, they do sometimes feel embarrassed. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, let's move into what's been brewing. Brittany, what's been brewing for you? Okay, well, I'm in full swing PhD mode and I'm loving it. Uh, (laughs) Julie was making me laugh last night because we were were talking about how we have the same approach to school where we just show up like super over caffeinated and ready to... You can describe it better, Julie. What did you say? I remember, so um, the library, I don't know what is up with the coffee at the library on campus, (laughs) but like it has this secret ingredient that just gets you ready for class. (laughs) You are ready. And I remember I'd like sit there and be like, oh I know the answer <laughs> like every every like couple times like, I don't really know what I'm gonna say but I have to say it <laughs> I have to say what this this is gonna be so good <laughs> every couple seconds yes that's exactly how I that's am in all my classes I am so annoying but I feel I desperately feel that everyone needs to hear my every thought and opinion about the research paper we're discussing or a certain theoretical approach. They need to hear what I'm gonna say. They, they gotta hear it. That's what I honestly really, I, there are days that I really miss grad school because I liked like talking in class <laughs> and I love it. speaking my thoughts about something in a class. And I will never say a word in a class. You will never catch me talking in class. <laughs> A teacher can call on me out of the blue and I would just, I'll just, well, I'll just shake my I was, head. <laughs> I, I was telling Brittany last night, I remember um, at one point, someone from our grad program, they're like, oh, you and Brittany are great to have in class. We just kind of rely on you to ask the questions and answer the questions and you guys are good. Just keep doing what you're doing. Like, We're oh, in the front, I'm like, like hands that. straight up. Oh yeah. I, Hello, I'm here. Yeah. I have a thousand yeah. thoughts already. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's good and it's bad. Um, I'm trying to be very aware that that is my default tendency is to participate a lot and trying to make sure I make room and leave room for other folks to jump into because I, I also know I'm a very expressive person. And like, when I'm about to say something, I'm, I'm like, like shaking a little bit <laughs> and I try to just chill out and be like all right you already said like two or three things just don't say anything sometimes I tell myself like okay the next 20 minutes just don't say anything and oh, I have man. to set that boundary for myself you're, like you're other people have me. better ideas than you if you would just stop talking and listen to them <laughs> you're a better man than me I was like no people need to hear this you wanted to say something you should have raised your hand. You should have gotten high off coffee and raised your hand before me because I'm about to say what I have to say. Okay, so that's what's been brewing for me. <laughs> what about you, Julie? Um, well, today specifically, actually, I was just thinking, like we were talking before this, about Arctic and phenology therapy 
and like how you know, I was getting back into reading informed SLP. So they have like a, a review on the different approaches. Um, and I was just thinking how, when we first, when I first got into speech therapy and doing school for speech therapy, I was like, oh, you know, speech sound therapy is just so straightforward. It's like nice concrete, but in actuality, it's so complex. So that's what's been brewing for me, just thinking more and more about Arctic and phonology because I have one older student. He's a seventh grader, who's into who's who has speech sound goals. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what's been brewing with me. Just thinking about that, reading about it. How about you, Kyla? Um, what's been brewing for me is stress. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's fine. I just you know I have a lot of IP meetings next week, and I have a lot of pending assessments I need to get done and you know school things what are you doing for fun to relieve your stress oh what am I doing for fun well my friend visited me this weekend oh I'm can I say it when will this 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 will be out next week okay mm -hmm. so um my sister and I bought tickets to surprise my mom for her birthday, which is on Saturday. Whoa, oh, so nice. I'm coming to Amherst. Oh my God. Oh my yes. God. And this so will great. release on Sunday. So we will, I will already be with my mom. So it's <laughs> oh, not ruining Oh my gosh, surprise. that'll be so great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that fun. is so sweet of you guys. So sweet. Yeah. So we're coming in, we're going to fly in Friday. Um, after, Friday evening and try to find someone to pick us up and we're coming back on Sunday and then it's Rosh Hashanah after and I love uh, Rosh Hashanah so I'm not going to work on Monday um nice yeah I love me some Rosh Hashanah celebrations so I can't believe you're flying I know How well I you? had this idea and so then I was like I have to get my sister involved because I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to do all this by myself so yeah Yep, Aww, it's gonna be great. So yeah. Aw. Wow. That's awesome. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We will see yeah. you all next week for our next topic. Follow us on Coffee Tea Free SLPs. We really love engaging with you. We have quizzes, we have uh polls. So uh follow us, interact with us, and we will see you next week. Yay. Yay! Bye! The views and information expressed on coffee, tea, and three SLPs are solely host and guest opinions are based on clinical experiences. This is for entertainment purposes only.